We say good morning. Good morning. Isn't it? You know, I usually uh, quote from people like the Puritans or uh, some reform guys or something. And, and uh, this morning, uh, uh, there's a interesting uh, guy I'm quoting from. It's somebody I ordinarily wouldn't do it, but he was a former president, Harry Truman. <laughs> of all people, right? He told a story of a man who um, fell and um, he was hit on the head and he had uh, a coma that he went into. It was a deep coma. It was so bad that uh, they thought he was dead. And the longer he was there, they knew he had to be dead. And they wound up taking him to the funeral home. They put him into a coffin. And later, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, all alone in a darkly lit room, this man who had been hit on the head and had this coma sat up and looked around. And he said, Good night, what's going on? What's, what's happening here? If I'm alive, why am I in this casket? And if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> alive or dead? To the Apostle Paul, you know, it really didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. Uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we can rejoice over that, knowing that, just that simple little verse that we had up there earlier. To live is Christ. To die is gain. We can rejoice. Above all, people can rejoice above all other people in the world. Christians can. Because it doesn't matter what kind of circumstances we are in, we have seen, like in last week's section, that we can rejoice even despite the worst of circumstances, Paul being in prison, of course, if we have the right perspective and see things the way that God sees it, and that's what prayer is about, it's lining up with His will and say, okay, I want to see this how God sees it, not the way that I see it, but how God sees it, and realize that He's bringing everything about because it's His purpose, it's for His glory and our good. Always, always, always. So we saw in that previous section, as, as Paul was imprisoned, the circumstances that he had, and he said, oh, that the gospel be advanced. That's really what I want to see. And he knew that the whole plan of God was much bigger than the Apostle Paul. So, God's plan is much bigger than our little plan, isn't it? Much bigger. But so often we forget about God's plan and we think about our deal. He rejoiced. Matter of fact, he rejoiced in the circumstances that he was in. <laughs> I mean, he rejoiced. It's not like, okay, I'm going to put up with this because it's God's plan. He rejoiced in it. And he told the Philippians, hey, really, don't worry about it. Don't be concerned. Everything's cool here, man. You know, God's got this thing underway. Plans being carried out. This is just great. Don't worry about it. People are being converted here. Um, even the Praetorian Guard, um, the Caesar's household, and it's okay. Even people who are preaching the gospel under wrong uh, circum uh, uh, pretenses, uh, if they do it, even if they do it in their own way and not for the right motivation, but yet the gospel is being preached, he says, "Great." And this is causing courageous people now to go out and preach the gospel that weren't courageous before. 
<laughs> they're going out there and doing it because they're looking at Paul and saying, he's in prison. And look at his attitude. So, Paul rejoiced in all this. And uh, yes, he rejoiced. Again, I say rejoice, as he'll say later on. Boy, what an attitude. What was it about? The glory of God. That's why we're here, right here today. In these circumstances, they're great, aren't they? When you go home, your circumstances can be great. But other things may not be so great. You say, hey, for the glory of God. So as we move forward in our text, here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul shows that his life is all about his master. He's the slave. He has a master. The master is Jesus Christ. What's his life about? Jesus Christ. That's all. Nothing else. I mean, that is his whole goal. That's his focus. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. That's, that's our life. Whether he lived, whether he died. Hey, whatever. doesn't matter. God be glorified. That's, that's what I exist for. God uh, is under control of everything. So he was willing to give up his life. And he was many times. I mean, you remember that he was in the deep. He was like drowning in the in the water at nighttime. You can imagine that being out there for days. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously, that's just a story, right? No, it's it's reality. And yet he was realizing that he belonged to God. If God wanted to take him, then that's great. If God didn't want to take him and have him go through all this so that God would be giving the glory, well, that's great. That's a hard attitude to to find, though, isn't it? It's hard to get to that level. But I want to tell you. And with the Word of God and His promises and His Holy Spirit, we can have that same kind of attitude too. Strive to live for the cause of Christ. Don't try to strive and live for yourself because you'll be disappointed every time. Philippians 1.6 I think is a key verse to remember. Oh, it set up all of this what we've been dealing with. For I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what He's doing. You'll say, what's happening in my life? I don't understand it. Oh, that's what He's doing right there. He's perfecting you. He is doing a work in you. He's completing this work. He's going to complete it. You know what? If we could really believe that. I mean, really believe it. Do you think things could change in our attitudes? <laughs> no doubt. You say, well, that's being like the Apostle Paul and I can't expect to be like him. Yes, you can. Because he was a man like us. We need to have his joy. Did he have joy? Yes. Yeah. How can we get that joy? His joy transcended the difficulties of life because you will have difficulties. You are having difficulties in life. You already have had difficulties in your life. You're going to continue until Christ comes back. Uh, But in Nehemiah 8 it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, we should have sang that song. I had to come up with that song. Right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Deny yourself. It's all about getting rid of self and realizing who you are in Christ. It's not easy. That's quite a spiritual commitment. That will take a while. It takes maturing. But God's doing it. It's about dying. Dying self. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. 
So that is challenging. I think we are going to be challenged today. Are you ready to be challenged today? We should be every time we open God's Word. That He would change our life. You know what? When He does change the life, sometimes it hurts. And it's like sticking a needle in there. Sometimes that hurts a little bit. But that's what it's about. He's changing us. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Right? Let's uh, stand and let's honor God's Word by standing and reading His Holy Word that He revealed to us so that we can stand here today as we have read this before and even have more impact on our lives as we read this so that we would honor Him that He would get the glory. You ready? Chapter 1, verse 19. And it starts off with, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, we thank You for this precious section that Paul wrote by your Holy Spirit and that it would encourage us and convict us and show us how we can rejoice in all circumstances and recognize the hope and the expectation that we have that you've given to us and that we are to live Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Right at the end of verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. That's after he said all this, that Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice in. Yes, and I will rejoice. He said it twice right there. That's a big theme, isn't it? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know this. Now this word is oida. It's a knowledge for sure. Absolute knowledge. Uh, absolute certainty to Paul. I mean, if you can get a word here that means without a doubt, without a beyond a shadow of doubt, I mean really, really knowing this, he says, I'm saying this absolutely. I know this. That this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that God's working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are His, and are called according to His purpose. I know all things are going to work good. So when you take that promise, and i got a feeling you probably use that a lot, and when we take Philippians 1.6, which we just read earlier, for I am confident of this very thing. I am absolutely sure. I know this. I believe the Word of God. Knowing that we will have triumph when it's all said and done, we already have it, but... We will have it, and we know it's going to bring us such a great joy. Boy, when you have this certainty, when you have this certainty in life, there's no other thing that's certain in life, is there? Nothing outside of Christ is certain. So, you can face any situation. And you remember Paul's present circumstance. Um, The Philippians are afraid that something's going to happen to Paul. They're afraid that he might even die. Be killed there. Um, has a lot of opposition. And even the people are preaching Christ in contention. Uh, preaching the Gospel. The, the Gospel is still going to triumph. With, and he knows this. Ultimately, it's going to succeed. 
And the gospel is going to advance. That's what we're here for. We're all about the kingdom. We're all about Christ. That's what everything is all about. And if we keep that focus rather than all the other things and the things in our own lives as the focus, when we realize the gospel is to be advanced, and it's Christ who's building the church, and He does it one by one, each stone, each one of us is a stone, and He's doing that building in us. That word deliverance, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And a lot of different uh, writers, different commentaries will say different things. Some of them will show you three, four different things. And uh, it's okay. Sometimes it can be all the above. Um, Salvation here is soteria. Uh, You've heard of soteriology. It's a study of salvation. And that's uh, the idea of the word deliverance here. Um, It can mean salvation. It can mean being delivered. uh, Maybe your translation might have that. It can be well-being. Uh, this deliverance can have uh, some different thoughts. I think ultimately it's pointing to the ultimate salvation or ultimate deliverance when we're in the very presence of God. He definitely knows that, without a doubt. He's going to be before God and He's going to be eventually out of this situation that He's in. And others can say, well, it's dealing with His health um, and His well-being here, His welfare, His benefit. I know this is going to turn out for that. Others say it's being vindicated in court. And he'll get out of that. And, and it could be to that extent. Uh, but I, I think really he's in a temporary situation. And he knows it's temporary. It's a current distress. Um, I think that's the main point. This is not going to last forever. He's going to be delivered from it. And even if he, if, if he wasn't released from jail, he knows he's going to be delivered ultimately in the ultimate salvation. Uh, I do know that what I'm going through now is temporary, Paul was saying. And the future holds my deliverance. Vindication in court, release there from prison, well-being, eternal heaven. That's, that's definitely it. I'll be delivered out of this. Well, how do you know, Paul? How do you know that? Were you just inspired by God's Holy Spirit? Well, He could have been. But let's go back and look at promises. And this is for all of us. You ready? Go to Job chapter 13, verse 16. You remember Job? And I don't think anybody here has ever been in the circumstances that Job has been. You might have been in pretty trying circumstances, but I don't think you compare to the situation he was in. Have you lost your children and your home, everything you own, and even your health? Did you, were you ever in that situation? Job 13.16 This also will be my salvation, my deliverance. For a godless man may not come before his presence. Listen carefully to my speech and let my declaration fill your ears. Behold, now I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. This will be my salvation. I know I will be vindicated. When it's all said and done, I know that uh, he is one who's even going to rise from the dead, as he mentions throughout Job. Look in chapter 19, verse 26. Even after my skin is destroyed, after I die in the flesh, whenever that is, yet from my flesh I shall see God. He's saying right here, way early in mankind, he says, hey, listen, I'm going to die, but I can tell you something. I'm going to see God. In my flesh. What's he talking about? Glorification. He's going to be resurrected. 
as he knew that there was going to be a Messiah, a deliverer, who would be resurrected. Verse 25, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will take His stand on the earth. Man, he knew a lot. You know, he didn't have full revelation that we have here. He didn't have the New Testament to dig this from. And he didn't have much of anything of the Old Testament to really derive from. Did he even have any of that? Only from what had been uh, in the past, and we don't have. Moses is after him. This is incredible what he knows about God, isn't it? If people want to know about God, God will reveal himself. Look in Psalm 22, verse 4 and 5. That's amazing. Look what he knew. Psalm 22. Uh, we're getting closer to the time of Christ now. This is going to be a thousand years before Christ, okay? Psalm 22, 4 and 5. In you, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. There's that word deliver. To you they cried out and were delivered. Salvation. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. There it is in, in God. They trusted and it, they were delivered. They just trusted in Him. Look in Psalm 31, verse 1. These are promises. These are things that you bank your salvation and everything on. All these promises. How many promises are there in the Bible? Thousands. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Save me. I take refuge in You and You deliver me. And by the time that He's done with this, it winds up um, in praise to God. You can see where He turned to. Look in Psalm 33, 18 and 19. This is good food for us, isn't it? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves, there's that word, deliver, those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Have you ever seen that one before? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen, you might think you're the only one the Lord is picking on. And I want to tell you, there's a whole room full of people here. Every individual here has had afflictions. Might be in different ways, different formats, but I want to tell you, we're all in this together. And he says, many are the afflictions, and I can identify with that. And as you walk closer to Christ, and as time goes on, you're going to find more and more afflictions. And yet we see here, the Lord delivers him out of them all. Every one. Now, do you believe that? If you believe God, if you trust in God, you know that He's going to do that. Does that make sense? Uh, next time you have an affliction, next time you have uh, a real battle with the, with the enemy, if nothing else, write these scriptures down. There are plenty you can go to. These are just a few. We don't have enough time. We could go on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and keep repeating these. These have been revealed to the writers and then to the people. And here it is 2,000 years after Christ and it still has meaning for us. Chapter 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them or delivers them or saves them. You like that? Angel of the Lord. It surrounds them. What protection. 
chapter 41, verse 1 of Psalms. Oh, these are great. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. You consider the helpless? You think about them? The Lord will deliver you. The Lord will deliver anybody else for that matter. For those who fear the Lord, we're blessed. Verse 2 says, The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth and do not give him over to the desire of, the, of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. And even if he doesn't and he winds up dying, well, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You, you are promoted into heaven. And that's even a better salvation, isn't it? A better deliverance. See, Christians, that's the way they think. God delivers the righteous. All those who are Christians have been declared righteous. Wow. Well, there's part one. There's part one there in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, my soter, my salvation. And now we come to... That, that's a confidence, isn't it? That's a confidence. Confident in what? God's Word. God said it, so I'm just going to believe Him because it is absolute truth and I believe it. There's the first place you go to. The Word of God. You have troubles in this life? Go to the Word of God. Look at some of those verses we had right there. Do you believe it? Now, He just doesn't stop with that though. He goes on and says, through your prayers. This is something that Paul has confidence not only in God's Word, but he has confidence in the prayers of people. You can say, what? You mean the prayers can help me through this situation? Yes, that's why it's so important to be in fellowship with the rest of the body because if you're not there, people don't know what to pray for. They don't even know you're under certain circumstances. They need to be praying for you. So if you're around, then people will be praying for you. Let me tell you, you will be blessed. This is what Paul knew. He says, through your prayers. My deliverance will happen because of your prayers. Paul knew God was a sovereign God. And that's the first part. God's Word. Here's His promise. This is what's going to happen. But Paul also knew that God not only starts a great work, but He keeps it going, and He does that. And that is called monergism. But when you become a Christian, synergism comes into play too. Uh, We can't choose God for salvation But once He changes us and turns us into new creatures, now we can choose to obey Him through the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit. And God uses means. He uses means to get His purpose and His plan done. And one of His means is prayer. It's amazing why all Christians know that prayer is important. All Christians believe in prayer. Some may have their doubts a little bit about it as much, but they know that prayer, if you don't pray, you don't breathe. And if you don't breathe, you die. You know, Christians have to pray. It's, it's on their hearts always. Um, in this case here, it's about other believers. So his plan, which is sovereign, absolute sovereign grace, also, on the other hand, 
deals with the responsibility of man. And putting those two together with our little finite pea-brain minds really is hard to fathom God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. I think of J.I. Packer's great little book that came out in the, I think the 60s, something like that, uh, came over here in America. And um, he wrote Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. J.I. Packer's Reformed in his theology. Great theology uh, when we're dealing here with uh, the, the uh, sovereign God. But also, if God is sovereign, why do we have to evangelize? Because God uses means. He uses proclaimers of the Word to bring people to Him even though God has already predestined that person to come and we are commanded to proclaim that Word. So, we have God's sovereignty, human responsibility. One of our responsibilities in the body of Christ is to do what according to our text here today? Pray. Pray for others. So, you know what? That is what God uses. James 5, verse 15 and 16 talks about a fervent prayer, an effectual prayer. Remember that? James 5, verse 15. And the, and this is from old camel knees, as he, as he was known as. And you know what that means? He stayed all, all the time on the floor, on his knees, kneeling and praying. Praying for the church there in Jerusalem. Old camel knees. And the prayer offered in faith will restore, kind of related here to this kind of thought we've been having, the one who is sick, could be spiritually sick, could be physically sick, definitely entails a a spiritual sick too, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man, and who is righteous? All Christians. Of course, if you don't have the the right relationship at the time as far as your ongoing fellowship with the Lord and you have sin, well, you need to get that taken care of. But um, uh, we keep a short list of our our sins, right? Pray that to the Lord. Effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he uses that illustration of Elijah. The reigning... Didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months, and he prayed, and the sky poured and rain, and the earth produced its fruit. He knew. Paul knew that he had their prayers. He knew that they were praying for him. Uh, sometimes there's a feeling that people are praying for you. Just <laughs> it just seems that way. There's an effectual, fervent prayer going on here of a righteous man, and it's producing fruit. And uh, I'll tell you, it's nice to have a lot of people praying for you. God working out His purpose through faithful prayers that people are bringing to Him. He is sovereign, working out His plan, but He has people praying to Him so that they get to get in on this. That's really the idea. It's not informing God and saying, hey, listen, did you know about Him over there, that saint? Oh, God says, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. Boy, thank you for bringing that to me. I kind of forgot about Him. (laughs) He knows all. He knows all about that. But it's really for our good. And it is for His glory. And we get to see God's glory working in that person when we're praying for them. And it's a great thing. Paul was confident that their prayers were going to come through and he called people to pray on his behalf. Paul believed in prayer by the saints for him. And you would think, well, that's Paul. He 
the apostle. He doesn't need anybody praying for him because everything just goes right for this apostle who gets direct revelation from God and he knows everything that God has given him as far as inspiration. And he, why, why does he have to look how you know? Look, at his spiritual level is way above mine. I don't have to pray for him. True or false? <laughs> He needed their prayer. Matter of fact, if you look at Paul's life, you'll see that he had many dangers and snares, right? Boy, did he. Constantly. He needed people praying for him. Um, look in Romans 15, verse 30. Now, he's writing the Romans here. As it writes to the Romans. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm going to urge you by uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Did you see the Trinity there, by the way? This is just a little throw-in. This is a little extra. No extra charge here. But you see, Lord Jesus Christ you see the Holy Spirit, and then here the prayers to God, which also is representing the Father there. And it's the prayers of the saints. That's a little verse just exploding with an incredible amount of information that he's saying here. We are to strive together. That's like being in a race, and man, we're, we're coming right to the end of the race, and there is the, the string uh, the, the, where the winner is really striving and he's lunging for as he's ready to cross that finish line. And we need to strive together for Paul, as he says there. But, uh, and he's really urging them because of Christ and because of the Holy Spirit and because they're praying to God that they'd be praying for him. Man, he was begging. He was begging that they would pray for him and really work at it. We're not just saying, hey, uh, by the way, Lord, take care of Paul. And hey, Father... Uh, oh, Let's strive together, right? Ephesians six eighteen and 19, spiritual warfare, right at the end of it, with all prayer and petition. With all prayer, with petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And, by the way, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the Gospel. (laughs) He says, hey, listen, don't worry about my situation where I'm at. What I want you to do, though, is pray that I can be bold as I deliver the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you like that, Paul? Mm. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25? And then we'll move on. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and just before them is the Thessalonians. Chapter five, verse twenty five. Brethren, pray for us. That's all he says. Pray for us. Prayers are effective. We need the strength that comes from the prayers of all the other saints. Can you imagine how strengthened we could be if everybody here is praying for each other and do that every day? Whoa. I'm telling you, if we would pray to have the boldness to go out and deliver that Gospel 
to all those people who were in dire need of the good news, what could God do with it? Worth thinking about, isn't it? Okay, so he's confident in the Word. He's confident in the prayers. What's next? The provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Right here, we're still in verse 19. Philippians 1.19 For I know this, things are going to work out. My deliverance is going to happen. It's going to happen because of your prayers and because of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. The provision of Jesus Christ. He's confident in the Spirit of God. He's confident in the provider. Confident in the provider. So we have the Word. We have prayer. And we have the Holy Spirit now. What do you think? Can you be confident in that? We can be confident in the Word of God. We can be confident in prayer. We can be confident in the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul was so confident. That's why he knew so much. They always work together for the benefit of the servants of God. The emphasis here is the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The provision. What He provides. Uh, He's confident that the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells Him, that He intercedes for Him, that He guides Him. He's the very source of all our power. He provides what we need. The Holy Spirit does that. You ever thought about that? Boy, He does a lot of things. The Holy Spirit is very powerful. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Look in Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are a Christian. You are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Then he tells this. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Simple as that. Either you have the Holy Spirit and you're a Christian, or you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're not a Christian. And you look at through the rest of Romans here and all this uh, straight text, that means all Christians have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. Otherwise, and He's not in and out. Sometimes He's present there and sometimes He leaves because you've been disobedient. Holy Spirit is always there. He indwells here. He is living in you. The Spirit of God dwells in this temple. And so we realize that because of that, um, we recognize that we can be confident as He dwells here. Every Christian has the provision of the Holy Spirit. Look in John 14, verse 26. Jesus says in John 14, as He is going to be arrested that night, He's with them, tells them a lot of things. He says, by the way, I'm going to have to leave, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you the Comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Paraclete, the one who comes alongside. John 14.26, He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name. Did you see the Trinity there too? The Trinity is all over the place. In one verse, we get another Trinity in. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. First of all, He's talking to the apostles there directly. And the things that they need to write down, things that they need to say, as even on their own trial and such, He's going to strengthen them, give everything they need. 
Now, does this apply to us? Well, in another sense, it does, in the sense that we know that there are certain things. If you have the Word of God in your heart and you have memorized that, you've read it, and He brings it to your mind, your remembrance, the Holy Spirit has just brought a powerful verse for yourself or for somebody else to relate to because you dwelled upon God's Word. And as you do that, then the Spirit brings it to the time when you need that. But you have to have something to draw on first. Holy Spirit's not going to bring something to you that you have not even read or heard about. He honors the Word of God. So if we have that in our memory, Holy Spirit will bring that there and make it effective. We have all the resources of God. We have the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on. We have the power. By the way, every Christian is interceded for. Every Christian is interceded for by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this gives me great confidence whenever I think about my failure of uh, my lack of sin. And you go to Romans 8.26... What did I say? Lack of what? Lack. I just thought I said something like that. You guys are catching on. You know, you're listening just to just to see if my my uh, my lack of belief in God, my lack of prayer, is what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing there, but okay. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Agreed. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That means the words that we can't even say. It's just too deep. The best we can do is go, ah, ah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is interceding. We can't even speak any words here. Some people say it's a private prayer language, but it's not. it can't even be that. We're talking about... Words can't even be brought out here. There's no words. There's nothing to be said. He says it's too deep for that. We can't even say anything. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even when we're not praying in the will of God, guess who is? The Spirit of God. I think that's incredible. You can say, sometimes I'm not so sure what the will of God is here. I don't know. Well, here's one thing you can be certain of. I'm, just be thankful that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Always. And then, what's on the heels of that verse? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. His will. The intercessor will always pray God's will even when we don't. And a lot of times we don't. But realize that He's there living in you praying the right kind of prayer. There are times when we don't even, when we don't even know we're supposed to be praying. And you know what the Holy Spirit's doing? Interceding for us. Isn't that great? interceding, praying the exact perfect prayer. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul was confident. He was confident in the Holy Spirit. 
So he says in Philippians, it's the Word of God. It's the prayers of the saints. It's the Holy Spirit who provides. And then he was confident because of the expectation that he was given. The hope that he has. Um, It says in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and hope. According to my earnest expectation. The word is apokaradakia. Fully fixed gaze. Fully fixed. A focus so much. It's a three-part word here in the Greek. It's a compound word and it means away from head and watch. Watching something with the head turned from all other objects. Almost to be distracted. To You're just thinking of this one thing. But it's in an ordered way. In other words, ignoring everything else at that moment and just checking that out. Earnest expectation. He knew. And he focused on the fact that there's a judgment seat of Christ and I'm not going to be ashamed. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything. I'm not going to be put to shame. He's focusing. It's like stretching out the head, stretching out the neck. That's the kind of the literal picture. A concentrated eagerness, intense, fixed gaze, straining with the neck as far as you can. And then he adds that word hope. Or my hope-filled, eager anticipation. I live in this eager anticipation, Paul is saying, that I'll never be put to shame. I'll never be ashamed before the Lord. I won't be ashamed here before the world. Not before the courts of Caesar will I be ashamed. Not before God, because Christ is going to be exalted in my body. That's quite a statement to make, isn't it? Are we that sold out to Christ? That's His promise. That's God's promise that Christ would be exalted um, in my body. I'm confident in the promise of Christ is what's being said. I'm faithful to Him, Paul says. He's going to be exalted in me. I'm not going to be where uh, I can be ashamed. Look in Mark 8.38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Well, that will knock you down, won't it? We should not be ashamed of our great God. And, and isn't this timely? Adulterous and sinful generation? I think it's the same kind of generation that He lived in. What a wicked, adulterous, sinful generation. We don't want Him to be ashamed of us, do we? Because He's going to be coming back in glory. That's great. Paul was bold. He expended every effort that he had. 
just looking at uh, this verse in Philippians, do we not need the promises of the Word? Do we not need the prayers of the saints? Do we not need the Holy Spirit? Do we not need the expectation? God has begun a good work in us. We're saved. We're delivered. We know that He's going to accomplish it. And we want to praise Him. But we have responsibility in the life that we live now. Look what He's done. Look what He's doing. But we still have responsibility. We don't want to shame our Lord, do we? Or put to shame our in, in our body. The next one is he was confident in Christ. He was confident that life is Christ. Living is Christ. He's confident in the plan of God. It says at the uh, end of verse 20, will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He is confident in the plan of God. Christ magnified in our bodies. Have you thought about that? God gets glory as we walk on this earth with the Holy Spirit who resides in us as we reflect the very person of Jesus Christ. We magnify Him as we live obedient to Him. Man, that's incredible. Magnifying Christ in my body while I live here now. Do you know what happened to Paul's body? Paul's body died. But he died to Paul. Paul died really in the sense that he was living in Christ. To live as Christ. What does Paul mean by that? What does he mean? To live as Christ. Let's talk about real life. Real life is, and really, doesn't that start to get your juices flowing here? Think about it. You want to know what real life is? I mean, the world out there is, is offering life, man. I mean, they're offering, they look at the commercials, look at everything that they have to offer, and uh, great, slick packages, beautiful things out there, and none of it's going to continue to exist unless it's the gospel of God and His people. What does He mean? What does He mean? He means knowing, loving, serving, glorifying, enjoying, having communion with, and fellowship with Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. That means to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to glorify Him, to enjoy Him, to commune with Him, to fellowship with Him. That's the idea of living is Christ. That is the whole thing. Every part of that. Christ alone gives me meaning. You might try to find meaning in your life. And if you don't start with Christ, it's nothing. How do you define yourself? Do you define yourself by your clothes you wear? by the car you drive, by the house that you have, by the friends that you have, by the family you come from, by the... On and on and on. Do you define yourself that way? Do you find yourself by your friends that you have? I've heard people say that. No. A Christian defines themselves simply as this. 
Christ alone is my delight. Everything else that comes through there, it's, it's always in Christ. Paul says, I have no meaning without Christ. He's the object of all of my affections. He is my life. He's the goal of all my ministry. He's the motive. My life has no meaning apart from Jesus Christ. Can we all say that? My life is meaningless without Christ. Only a Christian can say that. Do you know that? Only a Christian can really say that. Enjoyment, communion, loving, knowing Him, glorifying Him, fellowship of Christ, all of those focused on Christ. And if Paul had a choice, he would have died physically in the flesh. But he's saying, by life, to live is Christ. By life, I am freed. I'll preach. I'll be bold. I'll give the Gospel. I'll build a church. I'll magnify Him in the process. And if I die, if I'm killed, well then, Christ will be exalted in my death in this body. While I'm living here, then He'll be exalted. And when I die, then He'll be exalted. The issue with me, Paul says, is that the Gospel would be advancing on forth. The Kingdom of God. Is Christ being preached? Is the Lord being magnified? I think that's a tremendous spiritual commitment. That's a total sellout. Do you think that's possible? Can we as Christians say that? Do that? Wow. I live only to serve Him. I have no concept of life outside of Him. He's the reason for my existence. Living is Christ. I'm filled with Christ. He's the center circumference of my life. So, if the Gospel advances... I'm happy. If Christ is proclaimed, Paul says, I'm happy. If the Lord is magnified in my body, I'm happy. Whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter to me. Because the Gospel is going out. God's in total control. Dying is even gain because I graduate. I'm promoted. I'm with Him and glory to Him. See, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to Him. It didn't matter. In Acts 20, they said, Paul, you're going, they're, going to, they're going to arrest you. You're going to be persecuted here if you do this. Paul, you know, don't go there. Don't do this. Paul says, none of these things move me. They were saying, you're going to go to prison. And you're going to have chains on you. None of these things move me, Paul says. They don't motivate me. Out of consideration. I could care less. That's really what Paul was saying. The man, Paul, stripped out of his life every single thing but Christ. And he starts from there. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Forget yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. That wasn't glibly said by Christ and it was not glibly believed by Paul, was it? Do you think of death as being gain? you think of that? In the flesh, it's really kind of hard to think that sometimes. Because <laughs> nobody really wants to die. I'm not saying, hey, we, we should really desire to die and go out and drink some poison or something. <laughs> like those cults. But because Paul answers that, and he says, and that'll be for next week. Aren't you glad it's going to be next week? We need to close.
He's talking about the final consummation coming to the close, the whole progression of sanctification when it finally gets to the ending process. In life, Paul was totally consecrated to Christ and in death he expects to totally possess Christ in this glorified way. The American perception here that um, we can have naturally, people today are becoming more individualistic. They don't really need other people. And when they do, it's basically through cell phones and Twitters, Facebook. They don't really need other people. But here it says we need to depend upon the Word of God. We need to depend upon the prayers. We need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. We need to depend upon the expectation that has been given us And above all, we depend upon the fact that we are in Christ and we depend upon Him. He is what we need. This is hard. Comfort is never a priority in the Christian pilgrimage. Is that a hard statement? This is the American perception of the Christian life. Everything would go smooth and easy and I'll have a comfortable life till Christ comes back. I wish out of the flesh that I could say that. But in the Spirit and according to God's Word, I don't ever see that with anybody. I think of Joseph he was in jail for how many years? What about Daniel? Oh yeah, the lion's den. They were taken captive. You don't even see sin in those guys' lives. We know they sinned. Sure wasn't comfortable. You look at Paul. You look at David. God trained him. There's the shepherd. Oh, you look at Moses. Forty years in the desert. Folks, we can go one character after another. And I'd like to sit up here and say, everything's going to be good now because you are in Christ. And in one sense, it is. Because it's all working together for good. But the circumstances may not be favorable. And if we take that to heart, comfort is never a priority in our lives. It's nice to have comfort. It's nice to have a home. I'm not saying it's not because, believe me, I'm thankful to the Lord that I have a home and that I have food. And My, I have one thing after another. I'm living way beyond what I deserve. I mean, I do not deserve any of this stuff. And it's nice to have some comfort. And a lot of comfort. Thank you, Lord. Be giving praise to Him. But that's not the priority of our lives. What is our priority? Only Christ makes dying gain. Otherwise, it's loss. Let's pray.